week, we're updating the zoning regulations. We've got a big one-topic episode for you. It'll be all about the city's plan to update our zoning regulation, last updated in 2001. We'll be joined by Anne Stevenson from the city of Edmonton to enlighten us with all we have ever wanted to know about zoning in Edmonton. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 33. Uh, We're almost done the provincial election, so we will never ever mention this ever again for four years. But before all that, we got to jump right into the rapid fire segment. Uh, Thales got kicked out of the ETS facilities this week as the city officially terminated their contract. Both parties are now suing the other for tens of millions in damages. Meanwhile, the city has awarded Alstrom a 30 million contract to redo the signaling system on the Metro line. At the Thales press conference, when asked why he thinks the city was wrong to kick them out well into the five years of being overdue on the signaling system that is still actively failing city tests, the representative basically just gave a surprised Pikachu face. The winning Edmonton project proposal, a gondola from Old Strathcona to downtown, stopping at Rossdale, presented at council this week asking for permission to go forward with their planning. They were sure to emphasize the entire $100 million project would be privately funded. Some councillors were less than enthused with the idea, suggesting that they just gondole don't. On top of the funding concerns, Edmonton also hasn't had an aerial transport vehicle, so residents are unsure about privacy concerns. Without privacy fences over backyards, it would be really easy for gondola riders to peek at you. With advanced polls opening and the provincial election on Tuesday, this is the last time we'll talk about the provincial election. Uh, Surprise Pikachu has also made an appearance here, with a couple signs for that candidate popping up around Edmonton. Though there were no Pokemon present at the provincial leaders' debate, we reached out to the address listed on Pikachu's candidate forms, a residence paid for by taxpayers. But when we showed up, there was just a couple of confused Airbnbers there. You could say that, from the confines of the residence, the joke candidate broke free, dumb conservative party. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Uh, This week, we're going to tell you about Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company coworking space focused on helping people pursue their passions. Uh, You can join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. They have desks and offices, of course, but Unit B also offers access to things like the podcasting studio that we're actually recording this week's episode in. Uh, It's located in the historic McKinney building on 104th Street, close to everything downtown, and you can book a tour today at unitb.ca. So as I mentioned, we're not experts in the zoning bylaw, so to do a full thorough episode about the zoning bylaw probably wouldn't be sensible with just Mac and myself. So we're joined by Ann Stevenson, a senior planner with the zoning bylaw division at the city of Edmonton. Is that about right? Pretty much. Zoning bylaw team, we're small but mighty part of uh, the city planning department. How big is the zoning bylaw team? Uh, We have 10 members, a bunch of planners, planning technicians, and myself and my co-pilot, Colton Kersop. And you previously worked on Jasper Place, ARP. You've done some other planning things in the city. Why did you either choose to to join this team or be voluntold to join this team? (laughs) It It was a huge desire of mine to join the team. For me, zoning represents the fulcrum point between our high-level policies and the reality on the ground. So I love this work of translating our ambitions and our aspirations into technical wording uh, that a development officer can use and private development can use uh, to build our city. This is why you spoke at Nerd Night about zoning, because you like the technical wording. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me be clearer. 
I really dislike our current technical wording, which makes it basically impossible for anyone to understand the zoning bylaw, ourselves included. I mean, as as a team of people who spend our days working on the zoning bylaw, there are still times when we come across a phrase and we have no idea what it is meant to be saying. Uh, So we have a huge piece of work to do there in terms of making the zoning bylaw more accessible. So speaking of allowing people to understand things and talking in plain language. When you're introducing yourself to someone or telling people what you work on, the zoning bylaw, how do you tell them that? What is the zoning bylaw in plain English? The best way to describe it is as a set of rules that regulates development on private property. And so what that means is how big your building can be and what type of activities you can do inside that. So Edmonton's first zoning bylaw was introduced in 1933, according to the report that went to committee this week. I was fascinated by the attachment that talked about the history of the zoning bylaw. Why do we have a zoning bylaw at all? Like, why did that come about? What's your understanding of the the history there? It's a great question. And... I could answer from a from a global perspective about the rise of zoning bylaws across North America, and there are a number of different motivations for it. So at, at a really basic level, zoning was about ensuring that incompatible uses weren't located next to each other. So that was making sure that houses weren't next to refineries. That's important for safety, that's important for health and well-being, that you don't want people living next to uh, dangerous industrial productions. But over time, zoning bylaw became a different type of tool or a tool that could be used in different ways. There were a number of legal challenges mounted against zoning bylaws in the United States because they were being used as tools of economic and racial exclusion. Right. The use of the zoning bylaw has shifted over time, but there are still remnants of that in Edmonton zoning bylaw in terms of how we treat different activities differently, not based on any sort of objective criteria, but mainly how they're viewed societally. Yeah, there's a lot of talk in the report about how it maybe doesn't reflect our city's current regulations or initiatives or strategies. And the word that we hear a lot is mixed use. Mm. And it seems like that's in big conflict with the way the zoning bylaw currently works. Is that right? Absolutely. And it goes back to those roots of zoning bylaws. So if I can really nerd out for a minute, uh, a lot of the zoning bylaw mentality is rooted in sort of the modernist view of the city. So this emerged uh, in the late 19th century in Paris, um, It was sort of perpetuated by the modernists like Corbusier. And it was this idea of the city as a machine, that everything was functional, linear, uh, rigidly segregated. So you'd have houses for living, you would have businesses for working, you'd have streets to conduct you from one place to another. When really other thinkers like Jane Jacobs came along and said, no, actually, no, the city works much more dynamically and our streets can function as conduits for transportation, but also as social spaces, places to connect, cottage craft, businesses in the home. That's that's a very traditional way of humans living. And it's something that was really rooted out as part of the, the modernist approach to cities. So the zoning bylaw still has a lot of that mentality, this idea that houses are separate from places of business. Uh, places of social interaction. We're really trying to shift that uh, as we move forward with the zoning bylaw renewal. So I'm sure we'll come back to that just very quickly then. Are there actually still remnants of that original one in today's zoning bylaw from oh, 1933? Oh, 100%. More than, more than remnants. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what are really, some examples? A really positive example is that our very first zone, so they used to be alph- alphabetized. Okay. So zone A, the very first zone that we had in Edmonton was the River Valley. So from the very beginning, we have recognized the importance of that amenity in our in our city and, you know, wanted to preserve it in its own zone. This is back in 1933 was when the first 
by law mm-hmm. was. Yeah. So 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 the River Valley to this day is zoned A. It, that is the name of the zone that uh, that applies. What else would people be surprised to learn about is included in the zoning bylaw? What are you, what are your party tricks? I guess. Oh Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a couple more. So one that's top of mind right now because we're doing a project specifically on parking requirements, but we do have the same many of the same parking requirements that were introduced uh, on the basis of a study conducted in 1973. So things were very very different in Edmonton in 1973. It was about half its physical size, half its population. There was no LRT, uh, and those parking rates are still uh, determining what what businesses and homeowners have to provide on their property for parking. So that's definitely a piece that's sort of been rolled forward. Uh, and we've been really lucky in the past year and a half to have a chance to, to really revisit those, make sure they're still making sense for today. Another favorite example of mine is uh, uh, arcades. So back in the 80s, you know, Pac-Man came out. There was this fear of arcades taking over the city. And so the zoning bylaw created a set of rules for those. Uh, but fascinatingly, obviously, the menace of of Pac-Man is less these days. <laughs> it's in your phone. It's Fortnite now. Yeah, Fortnite dances, yeah. <laughs> but the way the regulations were written are now causing barriers to board game cafes. Hmm. So folks wanting to open up a board game cafe are falling under these rules that were intended for arcades. Um, so it's things like that. We we respond to what seem like threats or concerns in the moment and then we don't necessarily go back and and revisit them. So that leads us to the question about complexity and increasing sort of exponentially. The zoning bylaw has gone from 42 pages and just a handful of zones to now over 820 pages with well over a thousand different zones. How did that happen and how did we get to this sort of unmanageable zoning state? The zoning bylaw is not necessarily the most exciting document that a city has. So it's not an ARP. It's not uh, a new... An ARP (laughs) is the most exciting document? (laughs) Okay. Within, (laughs) relative, not absolute. But, But again, an ARP even or a new development, you know, they have pictures they it's have exciting it's, it's like exciting. what's it's possible colorful. yeah it's a vision it's they are exciting documents and i think the zoning bylaw again it's it's a legal document it's incredibly dense it's very hard to read through and so it's been very easy what what we've typically seen in terms of why it's increasing in length is that we add things in but we never go back to take things out uh and so that that happens because there's an issue, we respond to that issue, but we don't look holistically. So again, we've been really lucky to be given the mandate to look at it comprehensively, to really start from scratch and get back to basics. So the one problem, there's something like 1,100 direct control zones in the zoning belt. And if, could you go over what a direct control zone is? So a direct control zone is a site-specific set of regulations. So a property owner can come in and say, I want to do a very specific project on my property and I want to set my own rule book. And so they come up with a direct control zone that still has to be approved by council. It goes through a public hearing process. That's in contrast to what we call our standard zones. So a standard zone could apply to thousands of properties. So RF1, for example, applies to many, many properties across the city, whereas a direct control zone typically applies to to one property or a very small area. And these are the big ones like the Mezzo and uh, the Aldrich Tower. All of these would be direct control zones that they're applying for upzoning. Typically, and, and it does make sense. 
we're never going to be able to capture all development under our standard zones, but we could do a, a whole heck of a lot better than what we're, we're doing now. So yes, some of these really big mega projects will probably never have a standard zone for those, but we are seeing a lot of direct control zones for four-story mixed-use buildings. That to me really points to the fact that our standard zones aren't meeting the needs of, uh, of what the development industry is looking to build, but also what we as a city are hoping to build as well. Small scale, missing middle, mixed use development. So with a target for some simplicity and reducing the total number of zones to have a more cohesive bylaw, we've got a bunch of zones. We've got 13 overlays or so. We've got 1100 direct control zones. How do you start to pare those down and move people into perhaps regular or standard zones without you know, grandfathering them in or having special snowflake exceptions for him or her? Well, I mean, that's that's the work ahead of us for sure. We are learning a lot from the direct control zones that are coming through. So we have a few parallel projects that are feeding into the zoning bylaw renewals. So we are doing a really significant relook at our missing middle zones. And what we've done is we've analyzed some of the recent direct control zones to see what, what it is that they are getting that they're not getting in the standard zone. So that's really helped us capture those key pieces. And I, I'm feeling pretty confident that we're going to get to, you know, hopefully 90, 95% of that type of development would fit under a standard zone. So I've heard some of your colleagues at the city suggest that maybe the target is to go from a thousand zones to 10. Like let's reduce the complexity by a factor of 10. Is that, is that true? Like, do you have a target for what the new zoning bylaw would look like? My, my personal target is 10, okay. but you know, we're staying open. We really uh, want to make sure that we're, we're not choosing an arbitrary number and sticking to it. Right. But you know, there are some interesting examples. High River Alberta has recently redone their zoning bylaw and they got it down to six zones. Um, other municipalities, you know, maybe more similar to Edmonton, have gotten it down to 27 zones. I think for me, the the more important outcome is that we create zones that work. And so whether that's 10 or whether that's 30, if those are 30 really excellent zones that are going to meet our development needs, um, that's that's the goal. That's the target. And and is that measured by fewer one-offs or direct controls going to council? Is that the primary way to say these zones are working or not? That would be a, a huge measure for us, definitely. Are there other measures that you're considering or that might be part of the project? Another thing we're always monitoring is the rate of variances in our development permits. So a variance is when someone wants to build under an existing zone, but they can't quite meet all of the rules. So that could be an adjustment to uh, the the distance between the building and the front property line or the side property lines, for example. So every year we do an annual report where we analyze all the variances that have been granted, and that really helps us hone in on what's not working. Because um, if we're varying a regulation on a continuous basis, it, it means it's not the right regulation. So that also helps inform our work. Would it be out of left field for me to say that like most infill in the mature neighborhood overlay does have a variance applied? We've managed to bring that number down quite significantly, and I wish I had my report in front of you, but sorry, I could pull out my report and I can get you guys the stats, but... Uh, That'll be in the show notes. <laughs> in the show notes for sure. <laughs> so you took this report that you mentioned to council or to committee this week, I guess, um, and I think the proposal is a five-phase project, right, to do this work, to renew the 
zoning bylaw. Can you just briefly walk us through, like, what does that mean? What do those phases look like and, and how does this unfold? Sure. So it, it will be a four-year process is what we're anticipating. The first part is really about the structure of the bylaw. So not content, just the skeleton of how we want it to be structured, how it should operate. So those are the conversations that we're going to be out having with folks this year. At the same time, as you probably know, there is a, a lot of work happening right now on Edmonton's city plan. Mm -hmm. So that's a really exciting uh, vision piece about what how our city will grow into a city of two million. So our next step is going to be taking the outcomes that are defined in city plan and the policies and the direction and then starting to take that and translate it into the regulations of the zoning bylaw. So that's sort of the second phase where we've we've built the structure in phase one. And then in phase two, we start that translation process. We want to be sure that we're not having the same conversation. City plan is going to set out the direction of where we want to go. And we'll be working uh, to make sure that we translate that well into our development regulations so that that can, that can happen. Then from that point, it is just a lot of drafting. It's a lot of work. We have a number of legal requirements. So we will actually have a full-time lawyer working with us for a full year. So in that phase, it's it's an exciting phase for us. It's also a very dry and technical phase. Mm -hmm. But at every point, we're going to be circling back with our stakeholders, with Edmontonians. Um, really importantly, again, as we're doing this drafting, we want to be bouncing our our wording and our language off of people to say, hey, off the street, if you read this sentence, what would you understand by that? Uh, and after that point, we will be checking in with council throughout the process. And then we get into sort of the more formal going to urban planning committee and then the formal adoption at public hearing. And then after public hearing comes the implementation. So we still have to answer questions about whether the bylaw will come into effect immediately, whether it might be phased in over a year, six months. So all important questions that that will need to be answering over the coming years. So the first part you mentioned then is the structure. And I know in the report, you know, people can read the detail. We don't have time to probably to talk about all of these, but it talks about uh, conventional, form-based, performance-based, incentive-based. And I was really in interested by the recommendation, which is that we go with a hybrid. That sounds like a very Edmonton thing to me to do. Uh, we'll just go do our own thing. Mm -hmm. Is that a good idea? Like, well, how did you <laughs> land on that? Like, why not just pick one of the standard approaches? It's a great question. And we were very lucky. Last week, we had Hazel Boris, who's one of the Missing Middle Design Competition judges. So she's a worldwide expert on zoning bylaws. And she really affirmed the, the benefit and opportunity of doing a hybrid approach. And so more concretely, what that means is that if you're building a deck in your backyard, we're going to tell you it can be 60 centimeters high. It can be this wide. You know, end of story. We want it to be really prescriptive, very easy to understand. Uh, all you would need is a measuring tape effectively to, to comply with the zoning bylaw. Whereas with a really complex project, let's say a, a tall new tower, we're much more likely to rely on performance. So to say your tower can be the height it needs to be so that it does not shadow the adjacent park for more than X amount of hours during the summer. 
That requires uh, engineering, modeling, a lot more technical skill. But for larger projects, that's that's appropriate. That provides some flexibility while making sure that we see the outcomes that we want to see. So that's what we mean by hybrid. We want to make sure that we're applying the right tools in the right place. Because if we try to apply the same approach to the deck as to the tall towers, we'd either be significantly limiting flexibility in design choices or making it almost impossible for someone to understand what they can build in their backyard. So do you think it's a fair comment to say the new zoning bylaw will try and get a lot more mixed use zoning in Edmonton? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So with that in mind, is there not a risk with increased mixed use zoning that you have a reduction in sort of enforcement potential. Uh, The thing that I look to is digital signs, uh, which are currently prohibited everywhere in residential areas. But if those all become mixed use areas, where does that land and how can we enforce that positive outcome for a neighborhood? Because residents don't like the bright sign, but also businesses do. Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And Digital signs and signage is another project that we're working on right now. And there's a lot of interesting tensions there. Even, I mean, beyond mixed use, we're hearing from a lot of schools and community leagues that want to have digital signs on their properties. So right now, most of them have the track channel letters. And if you think about it, you know, they're having to ask volunteers to go out in the dead of winter and I was that wind. volunteer. <laughs> yeah, so you'll understand. But but as you say, that that has implications for the adjacent neighbors. A challenge with the zoning bylaw is that it's a very blunt instrument. And how it's currently structured is we typically regulate based on the worst case scenario. So we know that bars can be loud. They can be loud and they can be disruptive. And so the way the zoning bylaw is now, we basically just say no no bars in residential areas. Absolutely not. You can't do it. The downside of that is that you can have a small cafe that maybe serves a bit of alcohol that's actually a really welcome addition to the community. I think about the Little Breck in Riverdale, Mm -hmm. how that's such a welcome community amenity um, because of how it's operated. It's operated in a way that's respectful of neighbors. What we think that there's opportunity for is creating more opportunity in the zoning bylaw for mixed use while strengthening some of the other tools we have to mitigate those potential outcomes. So that could be something like the community standards bylaw or the business license bylaw. So what we can say is that under zoning, there are these opportunities for different businesses, but you have to be operating in a way that's respectful of of your neighbors. So I'd like to connect that back to one of the recent discussions we had, which was the 500 meter separation distance for alcohol retail establishments. Is that sort of what you're getting at where the zoning bylaw, I believe the planner said the exact words that was a pretty blunt instrument and wasn't the best tool for that. Are you looking at maybe moving some of the enforcement mechanisms out of the zoning bylaw and into different tools? Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of instances in the zoning bylaw where we're hoping to address some social dynamics that go beyond land use planning, go beyond development permits. So in addition to looking at some of the other tools like community standards and business license, we're also working with other teams like End Poverty Edmonton, uh, different initiatives that are looking more holistically at how we create healthy, vibrant urban spaces for everyone, for all citizens. So one of the words that uh, was in the report about the zoning bylaw was adaptable. Um, That was interesting to me. We always have this idea that we want things to evolve and we want them to evolve in a more constructive, positive way than, as you've explained, the zoning bylaw has so far. But how do we do that? How do we keep it from 
becoming unwieldy. Let's say we get it down to 10 zones. How do we prevent it from getting back up to 1,000 in the future? <laughs> it is the question that keeps me up at night. Um, no, it's a, it's a really important question. And we are thinking through how to do that best. And I think there are a number of pieces that, that we can put in place that start to build towards that. So I think the first one is just reducing the complexity. So again, one of the things that's hardest about our current amendments is that if you change one thing in one place, there are 20 other locations where you have to go and update it. And it's very complex. And often we we miss things or in the past have missed things. So there's inconsistency. So just the fact of streamlining and consolidating the bylaw, I think, plays a huge role just in terms of how nimble it can be. It's sort of the Titanic right now. And mm. we want it to be a sailboat that can turn on a dime. We're also exploring some other uh, tools. So we've been in conversation with folks at the U of A about an idea of variable zoning. So that allows some customization of standard zones. So that's an interesting opportunity that we'll be exploring as well. Yeah, lots of lots of learning still to do. We're, we're excited to work with our stakeholders and our colleagues and other professionals to figure out the best way to do it. So I know with some other bylaws in the city, like, for example, the transit fare policy, there's just a recurring element in the policy that it comes back every X number of years and council makes a decision about increasing or decreasing. Is there thought of applying something like that to zoning where it just comes up for review every X number of years? Absolutely. It's a great approach that we've sort of started to adopt already. So we do have an annual omnibus amendment where we do a, an annual cleanup of just small things that, that aren't working. But I think moving forward, instituting uh, an amendment schedule will be very helpful. In the past three years, we have been playing so much catch up that we've had a really unsustainable number of amendments. We've been uh, having at least 12 or more amendments a year, which is a really high rate of change, particularly for our development officers who have to learn all the new regulations and also the development industry having to constantly, you know, stay up to date and adjust their plans accordingly. So moving forward with the new bylaw, we're not going to get it perfect. We will have to make amendments and up, update it, but absolutely putting in a regular schedule if it's uh, annual or every six months where we can make sure that we're keeping it evergreen. So on that topic, feel free to caveat this with your opinion, but 2001 was a surprisingly long time ago. Why haven't we been updating it more regularly already? Like, what is it that you think has prevented us from trying to address the complexity in the past? I honestly don't know if I can answer. What was interesting in doing the history of the zoning bylaw is that it seems that for whatever reason, planned or otherwise, that every 20 years or so, we do seem to say, oh my gosh, we really need to relook at this. So I guess we're repeating history. One thing that hasn't been done in the history is starting from a blank page. So what has been a challenge and one of the reasons that it has grown in complexity is that we've typically rolled rolled most things over. We're going to have a bit of a different selection process that we are assuming we're starting with a blank page. And we a will blank page with the letter A on it, of course. With yeah, the letter A. That That's all right. Just for you two. <laughs> um, but being really mindful about uh, consciously deciding what we want to carry forward, what is working really effectively and not default to what's currently there. So one of the elements in the document that I really bumped on was a section on notifications. And it was outlining how 
perhaps notifications were a challenge at the development permit stage and we were maybe sending out notifications to too many people. I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Notifications are a really important part of the development permit process, but we haven't spent a lot of time assessing if what we're doing right now is effective. In very general terms, if you are building a building that has a variance, so again, it's not meeting all the rules exactly, typically every neighbor within 600 meters of your property would receive a notice. We have heard some feedback through the mature neighborhood overlay process uh, and just in other conversations that you know, sometimes people aren't that interested in that information. They don't necessarily need to know that their neighbor's deck two blocks away or a block away is not meeting all the rules. So we want to just give a really good think about what, well, and not just give a think, but really talk to Edmontonians, ask them what information do you want? What's important to you? I think the other piece is the delivery mechanism. So right now it's a mailed out letter. Do people instead want to sign up for CityGram and have automatic notification come to them electronically and, and that they actually get to determine what areas they're interested in, what notices they receive? With the notifications, because it's applied to the development permit process, it's before any work has materially even started. Do you feel like it almost makes the process adversarial between neighbors? So if someone's coming in, building an infill house, he wants to make a deck 20 centimeters larger than the bylaw allows, suddenly he's in a combative state with neighbors within 600 meters, and that might disincentivize development. Have you seen that? Is that something that you're addressing? Um, I think what we have found in our review, so we have spent time analyzing the responses that that are received through through some of the notification processes. A challenge is that often the concerns are not related to the variance. So the the neighbor isn't concerned that the deck is 20 centimeters too wide. They're concerned that there's a big new house next to them. A huge challenge for us is that the point at which people are most interested and most impacted by the regulations of the zoning bylaw is typically when they have the least ability to provide input. The zoning bylaw, we're bound by provincial regulation that protects private property rights. So when we establish rules in the zoning bylaw, if a property owner meets all those rules, we are not legally allowed to refuse to issue a development permit. We ha- It's as of right development. So this is the tension and this is something that I struggle with is that the conversation about the zoning bylaw as we're creating the rules and having those conversations, it's so vital for people to be involved in that process because once it's set, that's that's what's coming next door. Um, but it's tough because it's so abstract. It's very hard to relate to zoning bylaw regulations, whereas something coming in next door to you is very relatable. So there's a, there's a huge tension there, and I think we have a lot of work to do to make sure that people know when and how they can be most effectively involved. So the final follow-up on notifications, I promise I'm done after this. Uh, Currently, the bylaw, it does specifically single out community league presidents as people who get notification emails. And one of my beefs has been that the city essentially treats community leagues as a fourth order of government. And some of the policies are codifying that. We have the speed reduction policy that community leagues have to lead the charge here. Or with the zoning bylaw, community leagues get these notifications. Is there a thought to perhaps limiting that or changing that with the zoning bylaw review? Community leagues are a really important part of our communities, and I don't see us 
not wanting to work with community leagues moving forward, but I think absolutely we want the process to be as inclusive as possible. So I think some of the opportunities around electronic notification are really exciting. I would also say I think it's exciting for community leagues themselves. We know that some community leagues don't don't have a huge interest in in some of the development permit notifications. So for a community league to be able to select what they want to be notified on and what they don't, and at the same time providing every individual citizen the same opportunity as a community league to sign up for the notices uh, as they're interested in. So speaking of opportunities, I know that, as you say, it's a four-year project. It's going to unfold you know, for a while still, but what are the immediate opportunities for Edmontonians who might want to get involved or might want to learn more or provide feedback? How can they do that? So at any point in the next four years, if you are interested in the project, we have a webpage app, edmonton.ca slash zoning bylaw renewal. Uh, You can sign up, your email will be on our mailing list and you'll receive notifications about when we're out and about. The next time we're going to be out talking to folks is as part of the city plan engagement events happening uh, later this summer. So we'll have a booth there. If people are out talking to city plan, they can come by, learn more. There will be many more activities to come. We'll be having some surveys later on in the year, early next year. Again, getting at some of those structural pieces, how we should word things, what language we can use, and also what information people are interested in learning about. Close to all the time we have, is there anything else you'd like to let Edmontonians know about the process or just, you know, say hi to your mom? (laughs) I would really love to encourage everyone to get involved. It really, the zoning bylaw seems boring, uh, but it's so transformational for our city. The zoning bylaw renewal process will only be a success if we have Edmontonians involved in building the rules that will shape their city. So really hope that people will sign up and stay part of the project moving forward. And thank you very much. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. But we're not done yet. We've got time for one more ad. Uh, the Edmonton Community Foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. Community that will only succeed if they have the right zoning. You can start an endowment fund for yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on five topics, women, sexual orientation, and gender identity in Edmonton, visible minority women, and senior women. So you can learn more at ecfoundation.org. That's all for this week. As always, if you want to learn more or read our fun stories, you can go to taprootedmonton.ca, subscribe. And until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Anne. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.